This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. Welcome to another episode of Stories of Strength, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. I'm your host, Jade Cardiello, and with us today is a very special guest. He is best known for his roles in American History X, My Name is Earl, The Wolf of Wall Street, Remember the Titans, and more. It's Ethan Supli. Ethan joins us to share his story and how he was able to transform his life for the better. Ethan, it's an honor to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an honor, man. It's an honor. You look great, too. <laughs> Thank you. I've been working on that for a while. Uh, that's great. Before we jump into your acting career and your weight loss journey and everything, tell me a little about your childhood. How was it like growing up? I grew up in Los Angeles, and mm. the first kind of moment that I was aware that I had this thing called a body, I was five, and I was told by my grandparents that I was really overweight. And I had never considered that my body was anything good or bad. It just was, and I never really thought about it before. And so my mm. first kind of like confrontation with my body as this thing to be thought about was that I was thinking about it negatively. And I, I kind of like took that with me throughout my childhood. I, I had a lot of mm. a lot of shame and I was very uncomfortable with myself. And that was really how I grew up. Now, the negativity, were you bullied at all or did you even bully yourself or was it just that some sort of negativity where it was just like you felt like you were living in sort of like a cast for your whole life? I just didn't feel good about myself. So I, mm -hmm. I never wanted to be picked on, uh, you know, chosen by the teacher when she had questions in school. I never wanted to, I, I had zero, really zero confidence in myself. There wasn't a huge amount of bullying, but I do remember like pointedly avoiding the younger kids because the younger kids would mm. say stuff kind of without thinking about it. Like, wow, he's so fat would be something that they're saying out loud, not yeah. in order to hurt me, just as a statement. So I, I would definitely like avoid them when <laughs> I was like 10, I would avoid the five-year-olds, you know? Yeah. Now, let's take a step back a time before your career. You were 24 years old when you found yourself standing on a freight scale at a shopping center. Not long after checking into a treatment center for drug and alcohol addiction, what made you realize you needed help? I was doing a lot of drugs, and after a certain amount of drug use, the drugs kind of lose their potency. And so mm. simultaneously, I had what I didn't know at the time was congestive heart failure. So what would happen is wow. my, my feet would start swelling and then the swelling would move up into my legs and up into my knees. And this was very painful also, the swelling. And if I would stop doing drugs, which I did numerous times, for a week or 10 days, the swelling would go away and then I could get back on the drugs and they would be, I could get more bang for my buck and get higher than I had been getting at the end of my last drug binge. So I was doing that repeatedly. And then this one time I stopped uh, expecting to have those same outcomes and the swelling wasn't going away. In fact, it kept rising up my thighs and it was getting close to my abdomen. So I went to a doctor and the doctor said, this is congestive heart failure. You're going to die. Wow. And she said like, look, even if you like get sober and stay sober, 
you're going to die. Like this is the end of your life now. And that really kind of made me go like, well, I just didn't want to die on drugs. Like I didn't have this overall view that I was going to straighten my life out before I died, but I did want to do something positive. Yeah. I've worked in drug and alcohol rehabs. I still work in drug and alcohol rehabs. We see a lot of people come in with heart problems that have been on drugs for many years. So I can totally empathize with that. What did you notice changing your life when you reached out for help? Well, you know, there's, especially with opioids, there's a, a strange thing that happens. Like you consider like, if I just get them out of my system, I'll be okay. And then you, you get them out of your system and it's really rough. It's painful and uncomfortable, but like that's not the worst part. The worst part is that you're then left in a state where like you can't really experience joy. I, I don't, I don't know how exactly yeah. to describe it, but like your hormones are so out of whack. There's no dopamine getting to you anymore. So the things that brought you pleasure before are just not bringing you pleasure. So that was why I often reverted. And I think having people to, help guide you through that to go like, this is okay. It's, this is not going to last forever. This is going to end. This is just a moment. Get through this. It will get better. That's something that, that can get lost. Like you telling yourself that I could tell myself that. And then yeah. eventually I'm just not going to believe myself anymore. But one other person out there going, I swear to God, I've been there and it's going to get better gives you a little boost of strength. You know, this idea of like a higher power for me, a higher power was me and one other person is a power greater than me. You know what I mean? So utilizing that and going like, I'm having trouble winning by myself, but me and you together, we can beat this. Me and a whole team of people, me and people I'm accountable to all of that really did make me feel more powerful. Yeah, they always say your greatest strengths are arm's length. And when you do reach out for help, you will get help if you do seek it out. Why do you think so many people don't reach out for help when using drug and alcohol? I mean, I have my feelings on this, but what are your feelings that people are just struggling? They're like, I need help, but they're too afraid to ask. Well, you know, honestly, and this is this is really sad, but this is my view on it. And, and I think this anecdotally, because this was my experience, but it's also been my observation with others. I think that many people... When we look at them, and even if they're using that language, like, I need help, I want to change, I find that in, until somebody is really, really determined to change, not because, you know, they're in trouble with the law or their wife's going to leave them. I mean, those could be part of the factors, but if, if their wife's going to leave them and it's, like, really annoying that their wife's going to leave them. And maybe if they get straight, their wife's not going to leave them. And they're having to think about that for more than a minute. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a person who wakes up and goes like, I am going to change and I'm going to do whatever it takes to change. I even think that some people in that state don't reach out for help simply because they're ashamed, you know, and because it, it requires yeah. a, a lot of truth. And then I've even found like, People who do seem to be determined to change have trouble really confronting the totality of the responsibility that they have to take. And I really think that until one does that, I don't think they're actually going to change. Sure, sure. I read a passage today and it was saying how 
educators don't make you smart. Money doesn't change your life. You need to take responsibility. And it is responsibility that you must, one must change. And I've seen it so many times in drug alcohol rehab, when people hit their rock bottom, they have to recognize in a sense that they have to take the responsibility. They have to make a change. And it is a mindset thing. Yeah. What would you give, in a sense, advice to young people struggling with drugs and alcohol to reach out for help? The biggest advice I could give is if you are ready and determined to change is to go seek help, seek, seek somebody, you know, and I think in these instances that the best places to find help are from people who have gone through it themselves. So, or people who have dealt with people going through it, you know, and, and so I would say the same thing about weight loss, find somebody who's lost weight successfully and talk to them if it's drugs and alcohol, find somebody who's gotten sober successfully and talk to them or maintain sobriety for a while and ask them what they did and, and ask them for guidance. I'm more than happy to talk to people about what I did and what worked for me and what was beneficial. Mm -hmm. I, I want absolutely no part in trying to proselytize for sobriety and weight loss because I just don't think it's a good use of my time, number one. And number two, I don't hold any moral value that everybody has to be sober and everybody has to be of some body fat percentage. No, you're 100% right. There are so many stigmas out there. And also, too, did you enroll with a mentor or anybody along the way? I know you said you reached out for help, but did you have one particular person that you worked with or someone that you know helped you through sobriety? No, I had really a group of people, various people, yeah. And the team. Now, you had mentioned, too, about your weight loss journey. Now, let's jump into that. What has it been like getting in shape? Getting in shape has been a really wild ride. You know, that decision came a few years after the decision, or not a few, a couple of years, or maybe even just a year after the decision to get sober. And after I had maintained sobriety for a while, I then was kind of like walking around in the days of like, life will get better. I will be able <laughs> to experience joy and happiness again. And I just need to get through this, right? And so that takes a while. And then like, one day you wake up and you're like, okay, great. I'm now experiencing joy. And here's this other problem I haven't been thinking about that I need to take a look at, right? For the longest time, the calculation that I was doing or the, um, the formula that I was working off of was I just needed to lose weight. Like the goal was just weight loss. And so what would happen over the years was this kind of roller coaster of, weight loss followed by weight regain. And that was at least 10 years. And, and so for the first portion, there wasn't even the idea of getting in shape. It really was just lose weight. That's it. That's all I'm focused on, lose weight, right? And so it was a few years before I ever went step foot in a gym. It was a few years before I ever started exercising. And once I had lost some weight and was kind of clinging to not being morbidly obese, but just regular obese. And I started going to a gym. I started to notice changes in my body and I started to notice how good I felt from going to the gym. And so it kind of evolved from there. Yeah. Now you see some really poignant points in there. I'm a big believer in behavioral change for obesity and weight loss. How important do you think it's mindset when it comes to weight loss and the weight loss journey? I think it's all mindset. I, I think all of this, yeah. every bit of it comes down to perspective and mindset. And I think like whenever I think about how hard it is to not eat at McDonald's, 
I remember how hard my life was when I ate at McDonald's. And that trade-off is completely insignificant. Mm. You know what I mean? Like my life, when I ate whatever I wanted, there was this idea of immediate gratification and doing something that I got pleasure in immediately. And I'm discounting and not taking into consideration the amount of time I'm spending tying my shoes or walking up a flight of stairs or not feeling good standing on my feet all day at work or being out of breath, just standing up. And that discomfort, the discomfort in my knees and my back, the worry that I'm going to break a chair in a public place, the anxiety about sitting in an airplane seat, having to wear the right kind of shoes through TSA because like, it's not easy for me to put my shoes on. It's certainly not easy for me to take my shoes off while standing in line, let alone go back and put them on. Like this is a big undertaking when you're 550 pounds. So all of that when weighed against a moment where I want to eat McDonald's and I'm going like, I, I really have this craving right now. <laughs> Can I get through that? And it's basically in trade for this life that I have where none of that garbage that I used to live with exists anymore. Yeah, no, it's so true. Mindset is so imperative. We don't realize that we all think like, we all have the answers to the test. We know what to do for diet. We know what to do for um, exercise, but it really is if you want to make sustainable change, it has to come from the mind. That's where it all starts. A hundred percent. Along the line, did you find anything that really worked for you? Like any tips? Like for one thing, when I work with obese people, I use chromotherapy. I don't, I don't know, know if you've heard this or not, but we eat what off is, blue. What pl- is that? Yeah. So it uses the sense of color to have the body or the mind react in certain ways. Like if you eat off blue plates, you naturally suppress your appetite. If you if you wear a red shirt while you're working out, you actually improve strength really? gains and confidence. That's why, yeah, it's interesting because they were going to disallow some teams not to wear all red in the Olympics because it actually is a performance That's awesome. enhancer. Dude, I'm, I'm going to be an all it's red crazy. in the gym from now on. <laughs> and eating off blue plates. But do you have any tips or anything that worked for you while you were getting the weight loss that people were saying, like, wow, I really never thought about that? You know, I mean, there were definitely times where, and and I could liken this to, dr- to drug use too, like a, a time before I was really committed to sobriety when I'm saying, talking myself through this thing, going like, I'm not going to go buy drugs right now. And then I'm in my car driving towards the drug dealer's house and I'm going like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. And then I'm like, mm-hmm doing drugs going like, well, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to throw it away. And then I don't do that. And then I had similar instances, like I'm not going to go to Carl's Jr. And yet I'm drive. I know I'm driving towards Carl's Jr., but I'm not going to do that. And then I even had one time where I like bought a bunch of drive through food and threw it out my window and then didn't even trust myself enough to like not go and pick it up and eat it. So I had to drive over it and I drove over it. And that was how I like stopped myself. That's not what I'm suggesting, but I am saying like at one point I would calculate my ride home from wherever I was to avoid certain fast food restaurants that I used to eat at. So I would go like, how am I going to get home today? Okay. Well, if I take this route, I don't go by Wendy's or Carl's Jr. And just by doing that, I'm safely not going to go out of my way then to get them, you know, stuff like that stuff. Like for me eating at night in front of the TV 
was a really big problem. So first it was just like, mm. I'm not going to eat while I watch TV. And then there was a point in time where it was like, well, I'm not going to eat at night. If it's dark, you know, I, I eat dinner at 6 p.m. After 6 p.m. I don't eat. That's it. I won't say that I always stick to that one because sometimes when I'm like on an extreme <laughs> cut and I got to get a certain amount of protein, I'm, I'm chugging, you know, a casein protein shake right before bed. And so that's not an absolute thing, but I'm not <laughs> sitting on the TV mindlessly consuming food that's going to have no output of energy use. You know what I mean? Like that no longer occurs in my life. And it's certain things like that, which for better or worse, uh, this is just how I have to restructure my life because I spent a lot of time sitting on the TV eating. I don't need to do that anymore. It is yeah. pleasurable. So, there's something about absentmindedly putting stuff into my mouth while watching something that's entertaining, but I don't need to do any more of that. We hope you're enjoying Stories of Strength brought to you by MuscleTech. Whether you're an elite athlete, weekend warrior, or just trying to stay healthy, MuscleTech believes in growing stronger together. Discover products formulated to help you achieve your strength and fitness goals at Walmart, GNC, and everywhere you find premium supplements. How do you stay so mentally strong? I subscribe to what they call the 5 a.m. club. I'm up at 5 a.m. and take a cold shower. I do the incantations. I do the journal and writing. How do you stay mentally strong? Do you subscribe to any rituals prior to working out or on a daily basis? I get really into my schedule and I think I am fairly ritualistic with my schedule. And then my schedule gets disrupted all the time. And then I have to like kind of shuck and jive and, and dodge and weave and make sure that I'm true to the things I need to get done despite not having that safety of my schedule. You know, I'll wind up last year, I, I wound up in various parts of Mexico for almost four months. And right when I got comfortable in Mexico city and I had my gym and I had my grocery store and I had my hotel room set up so that I could cook my own food. And I was like, okay, I can have a schedule now. Even if I'm working 16, 18 hour days, I can do this. I can get to the gym. I can do it. And then they were like, okay, now we're moving to another remote part of Mexico <laughs> where like the gym is a half an hour away. And so it was a whole thing, but I don't do meditations. I don't, I don't force myself. I do naturally get up very, very early. Like right when the sun comes up, kind of no matter where I am, I'm awake. I often do see the sunrise, yeah. but I also go to bed early. I like to work out before I do anything else. That's fairly typical. Yeah. I eat very, for the most part, very boring food. And I eat the same thing quite a bit. You know, it'll be like three proteins and I'll eat those same three proteins for a month and then I'll get tired of them and I'll switch up my proteins. And my wife harangues me because she doesn't think I eat enough vegetables. So I've got her kind of keeping me accountable that way. And I've got like, <laughs> if I want to tell her, like, I've got athletic greens, I don't have to eat any vegetables at all. I can just drink this and get my micronutrients there. And oh, you do that too. <laughs> yeah. You know, like my carbs are either like rice or like if I'm really in a pinch for time, I'll just take a piece of bread and fold it up and eat it. Like that's my carbs. You know what I mean? If I've got a lot of time, I might bake a potato, Yeah, but it's like fairly boring. But I feel like once I'm in the groove of any routine, I have a little bit of safety there. 
Yeah, routine is very, very important, especially if you want to stay on the road to success. Now, jumping into acting, when did you first realize you wanted to become an actor? You know, it was really wild, man, because for basically being an introvert, I never wanted to be the center of attention at all. But I did find this strange thing occurred to me. I went to school in Los Angeles, and so there were some actors in my school, actors that were on big television shows at the time in the uh, late 80s. I very quickly observed that nobody really saw them. People saw the character from TV. (laughs) This was just always what was said, like, oh, you're so-and-so. And And it was always, like, not who they are. It was this other thing. And this other person. It's a character. It's a totally thing. Yeah, right. And then even when people got to know them, they still weren't really seeing them. They were seeing celebrity, right? Even if it's not the character on TV, it's you're an actor. This is something completely different. Like, I don't really care what your actual interests are or what you're excelling at school in or, or anything. It's just like, you're a celebrity. I'm observing that. So it was very interesting for me to be friends with them because they were a distraction from me. I was far more invisible if I was hanging out with them than if I was sitting alone or sitting with other people. And that was alluring to me. And then the idea of having this kind of disguise that you could put on by being an actual actor was super inviting. Like I can go do this job and the job is really fun and it's creative and you get paid lots of money. And at the end of the day, what do you get? You get a disguise, basically. Like, I get to move through the world, and instead of being looked at because I'm the train wreck of a body at 550 pounds, I'm looked at because I was on Boy Meets World or in American History X. And that was kind of a relief. So interesting. You were you were disguising yourself. I never really thought about that. That's Especially with the weight, you had something you can jump into and be accepted right away. Yeah. That's very, that's very interesting. I mean, it's, it's like kind of like, you know, wearing a white t-shirt at the pool. Yeah. It's not a real disguise. Like everybody can still see me. I'm there and I'm actually, in fact, attracting more attention to myself by doing this thing. However, I wear my white t-shirt at the pool and feel a little bit safer. Like they can't see me. Although it's like, it's not fooling anyone. Like it's all still there, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting. And I never really thought about it that way. That's, that's very interesting. If you didn't become an actor, what do you think you'd be doing today? I really have no idea. There was like a, a minute when I was 10 that I was interested in medicine, Mm -hmm. but then, and I was actually like super, you know, in, in, um, science and biology were dissecting stuff. And that was really interesting to me. (laughs) And so I had a moment where I was like, I'm going to be a doctor, but then I got like soup. I smoked a lot of cigarettes and did a lot of drugs and got shaky hands. And so like, I I have no idea what I would have done. Yeah. Now we talked a little bit about mental strength and everything, but what does the word, when I say strength, what does strength mean to you? Strength, you know, I think about strength and I relate it to happiness. So for me, happiness or being contented or the sense of joy always will have something to do with having some goal, right? Setting some goal for yourself and then having obstacles or barriers within pursuit of that goal. So like if you have a goal and the goal is just super easy and nothing, there's no resistance, right? 
then it's kind of boring and it's not super rewarding. You don't get that rush of dopamine or, or however the body works. Like the brain is still fairly misunderstood. So however that's, whatever those signals are, right? Like you have to have some resistance. For me, strength is just the ability to combat more and more resistance that I meet in life. And that's really what I think of when I think of strength. Speaking of combating Sleep is very important to me. I'm a big believer in sleep, not only performance in an athlete and for training, but cognitive health. You, you mentioned your sleep routine. You go to bed early, you wake up early. How important is sleep to you these days? Sleep is really important. I, I, I don't always sleep wonderfully, but when I am, when I don't, I, I really notice it. If I've got a big day of work the next day, sometimes I can be up thinking about that, tossing and turning and not being able to sleep. And, and the next day always suffers when I don't sleep. It's, it's very important. Yeah, it is very important. What has been, is it sleep? Is it, it, was it getting in shape for, what was the most challenging part of the training for you? I think the, the biggest challenge that I've met was just my willingness to enter into training. You know, I was, I was really insecure about going to the gym when I first started. My wife started making me go to the gym, I think 2004. I had never been to a gym and I'd been on a diet for like two and a half years at that point and lost a ton of weight. And my wife was like, great, now you go, you have to start going to the gym. Like this is going to help you. You're going to feel good. And she went to the gym and I was like really not interested in that at all. And I'm so glad she bullied me into going because I very soon just found that like I felt better after exercise. You know, for me, if nothing else, I just know that I actually feel a marked physical and mental improvement after exercise. And so regardless of like, I'm getting stronger, I'm building lean tissue. Like I, I I care about that a little bit less than my primary focus is on retention of lean tissue and just feeling good. Mm-hmm. How long have you been married? We've been together for 20 plus years. Wow. She seems like a great supporter to you. Uh, she's awesome. That is great. Who really inspired the workouts? Do you have, do you have anyone you looked up to? What ins- or who did you find motivation from? To work out the way I do now? Yeah. You know, I had the first version of me going to the gym. I was with a, a trainer. And that was fine. And, and I was also doing kickboxing and jujitsu and like got super into mixed martial arts in the early 2000s. And then, oh, wow. Yeah. And then I started doing a, a television show and really just at the time couldn't figure out exercise while I was doing the television show. Today, I got it figured out how to exercise and work at the same time. But back then it was all still fairly new. I'd only been doing it for a couple of years. And so now I've got this thing where I'm working 70 hours a week and then I've got very short weekends. And so the exercise fell away. And when I came out of that TV show, I just started doing cardio and riding bicycles. And so there was a few years that I spent just doing cardio and trying to get super thin. I got super thin and was miserable, super thin. Then I started going to CrossFit and then I got hurt. Like I blew out my <laughs> knee. I've had knee surgery. I've had a bicep repaired. And so really, oh, wow. the you know, in 2016, it kind of became about how can I do this so that I get the good feeling? So whatever I have to do to 
whether it's the amount of weight I have to move or the amount of exertion I have or the amount of uh, stress I have to put my body under for however long, how can I do that in the safest way that I can do for the longest amount of time? Like I I don't like being really thin. I don't want to have be out for months at a time or years at a time with one of my knee surgeries because I've injured myself. So what's the safest way that I can do this for the next 40, 50 years? And that was really when I discovered like training for hypertrophy and that I'm getting a great workout. I'm never going to failure. I'm progressively overloading my body. So it's never, it's never easy. It's always hard and it gets harder. And there are days when I'm close to failure, but that's like one week out of six, you know? Yeah. And just reading about that was what got me into it. And and that's what I've been doing for years now. I love that you mentioned safest. You know, I, I've uh, I've been training my whole life. I've been doing mixed martial arts. I've been eight years old, and uh, you know, sixteen surgeries later. Yeah, yeah, it's it's now that I'm almost fifty years old. I'm saying, wait, I got to train safe yeah. because I want to be doing this for the next twenty years. I don't want to just be doing this for my next surgery. Yeah, I, I mean, look, yeah, for the next twenty years. To your point, if you're eighteen or even twenty five, like uh, you know, do crazy shit in the gym. I, I, I I'm <laughs> yeah, exactly. not going to judge you. Like, go for it. Go nuts. <laughs> do you know? overhead snatch for time like great please do it really heavy i I don't care (laughs) but like i know that in my body that i abused for so long that's just a recipe for taking me out i i I literally it i have more fear of an injury simply because it keeps me out of the gym for a long period of time like the last so true the last real injury i had i tore my bicep this was 2016 and i remember i was going to physical therapy every day after the surgery. And I would make the gal, like, I was like, okay, great. We've done that on the arm. Now work the rest. Like, what can I do for the rest of me with, with missing (laughs) one arm? Because I can't do this for, you know, three or four months. I can't stay away from the gym. And you know, it's just, it's just a better, a better path for me. I know I can work out the way I do forever. Yeah, that's so true. I, I keep my workouts now just 20 minutes. I'm in there, out there, but I focus more on the stretching aspect, anything as I'm getting older, you know, because of the body's been beat up for so many years. So I, I really I commend you on saying safety because we when we think about getting in shape, we think about crush, crush, crush. But when you crush, you get hurt. Yeah. And you I don't want to crush young, anything. Yeah. No, I don't want to crush anything. I don't want to crush anything anymore. You know, Ethan, with all that you've accomplished, how would you define what it is you're seeking? You know, man, I, I, I have a fairy tale life, Jay. I Mm -hmm. literally do like say to myself every other day, check me out. Like, can you believe your life, man? I can't believe it. And so I just want to do whatever I can to keep it going in this, in this fashion. You know what I mean? And, and so that's, you know, spending time with my wife, spending time with my kids, having interesting conversations with all of them and talking about the state of the world in a way where like, we don't take dogmatic views about anything. And, Mm. uh, you know, putting myself out in the world in adventurous ways that I thought were completely unrealistic and off limits to me for so long, exercising, feeling great. And being a guy who is, kind of completely unwilling to say that there is one correct path for everyone. I just really don't believe that. I want to like talk to people and say like, 
if you've had many failures like me, I just want to be there to go like, I'll cheer you on if you want to start again and, and try something new. You know what I mean? And I, I'm not, I have no, no interest in telling you what that new thing should be. But like, if you're stopping yourself because you've had failures, I'll be your cheerleader just to try one more time. Yeah, that's so true. How many kids do you have? Four kids. Four kids. You have four kids. Yeah. We have four daughters and we're uh, newly grandparents. So we have, a, and, oh my and that's a girl too. We got a granddaughter. So we have five girls. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank that's you. amazing. Yeah. So Ethan, what's the legacy? Let's jump ahead. You know, you're taking your last breath. What is the legacy that you want to leave behind? I hope that my children are sane and rational people, that they are not contributing to the insanity I see in the world, and that I left a positive impact in, in any way, mostly because of them. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for being on the show. It was an honor to have you, and thank you again for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That is all the time we have today. I want to say thank you so much to Ethan Suplee for joining us on the show today and taking the time to share his inspiring story with us. Make sure you're subscribed to Stories of Strength. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Jay Cardiello, and this has been Stories of Strength, personal and inspirational tales of redefined strength, presented by MuscleTech. Tech.